400 billion a year is spent in filing fees. And then when you think about what AI can deliver, and we're just really at the very, very beginning. 2016, we doubled in size, and then in 2017, we doubled in size again. The reason that they succeeded was because they were persistent and they were able to make that pivot. So the United States Patent Corpus is 32 billion concepts. You're listening to the Outsell Podcast, where we cover the hottest trends and topics in the data, information, and analytics economy. I'm your host, Ben Sampson, and thanks for joining me as I interview founders, analysts, product leaders, and more to service the insights you should be thinking of. Everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Outsell Podcast. Joining me today, I have the co-founder and CEO of Zapnito, Charles Thied. Zapnito is a SaaS community platform built to showcase expertise and companies today are using it to create branded expert networks to promote thought leadership, increase revenue, build engagement and trust within your audience, and much more. I've been trying to get this interview with Charles for a long time. We've had lunch, we've had coffee, and we've always had some amazing conversations, and I just felt it was time to get him on the show to share some of those thoughts and insights with the rest of you, not just about Zapanita, but just about things he he notices in regards to the industry, starting a company, so on and so forth. We get into the nitty gritty on Zapnito, how the company was founded, Charles's journey into doing so. We talk about the benefits of bootstrapping versus raising capital. We talk about how to optimize your performance and keep a lookout for burnout. And we also talk about the benefits of community offerings, the expert network model, and the future of communities as we look into the next one to five years. And so I had a really, really good conversation with Charles. Um, We've again, have been trying to do this for a very long time. And I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, please uh, enjoy this conversation with Charles Thede, again, the co-founder and CEO of Zapnito. Enjoy. So I, I would probably say I was always a rebel. Um, and so if I was doing things, it was kind of my way. Um, you know, my, my father was a partner at a corporate law firm. My mom was a whole, you know, um, a stay at home mom and, and she worked and did admin jobs. And so my dad was on the, you know, kind of the 30 to 40 year partner track. There was never kind of an entrepreneurship, uh, spirit in the household, uh, if you will. And so, I think I dabbled on, in things, but mostly it was in in writing or projects, um, not necessarily just like, you know, I didn't create like a um, lemonade empire stand, you know, so that, that classic. yeah, I wouldn't say I, I'm kind of more of a, I think there are like born entrepreneurs, right? And uh, they just, that's what they do. Um, I was probably more of a forced uh, made entrepreneur. I decided that's something I wanted to do. Um, later on in uh, my career, um, and I really got the itch later. Yeah, interesting. I'm always just so curious, and um, you and I have spoken before, and and there's two things that I think our audience would be really interested in learning from you is you and I had a really good talk about product and and product management and just your career that you had leading into Zapnito. So I'd love to dig in 
a little bit of that before we get to Zaptina. So would you mind just giving folks the, the SparkNotes version of your career track and, and some of the things and the interesting projects you were working on? Yeah. Uh, so my, I would say my career kind of found me in some respects. Um, I, you know, I studied um, design and industry and got really kind of hooked on um, the early web, if that makes sense. And so I actually started out at a company called IIR, which was later bought by Informa for, I think, $1, $1 billion or $1.5 billion dollars. In the, I, th- I want to say in like 2006 or something. Um, and so I was always, I started out doing marketing, marketing uh, analysis, and I was just like, I'm not an analyst. I just, my brain does not work that way. So I've always <laughs> been on the creative side. Um, and so I went from doing that to, you know, helping run a global e-commerce project pretty quickly. And that's when e-commerce was like, you know, what is e-commerce and, you know, half the stuff didn't work. And so um, I guess my background, and then I moved into um, the startup thing in the late nineties, um, helping, you know, deliver projects. So I've been always like a hybrid product person, project person. Um, so we were doing like, you know, rapid application development. This is like pre-agile. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I watched this startup kind of, you know, half the clients were .com um, dot coms at that point. And then the other half were like their clients were dot com. So like it all imploded pretty quickly. So I said, I'm never doing a startup again. (laughs) So then I got into financial services and did some big company stuff, um, and some small company stuff, mostly in strategy and, and product as well. Um, and then I really missed media. So, um, got called back by Informa to run, help run a big project there. Um, but that was all, that was all project management versus product. Mm-hmm. So I kind of started falling into this weird world of it and tech, um, particularly back, you know, 10 years ago, like it and product were like two very separate things, at least, you know, outside of, um, Silicon Valley. Um, so I missed product and always had been, you know, a lover of product. And so I guess, yeah, that's kind of how it all took shape. Um, and then when I became CTO at Informa, which I you know, really just kind of fell into that, I was like, I knew how to, you know, do, do some stuff on, you know, on the computer. So next thing I know, I'm like chief technology officer. Um, and so CTO means career totally over. So I was like, I really just missed the commercial side of things and, the product side. Um, so I thought if I ever wanted to get out of the CTO world uh, and become like a CEO, I basically have to like uh, make myself a CEO uh, as opposed to somebody else doing that. So that's what I did kind of thing. Yeah. Um, was that the initial driver then for the company? I'm curious, was it a driver of more of a driver of you wanting to be CEO and creating that for yourself? Or did you see the market opportunity for Zap Nido first. I'm curious, what came first, the opportunity, the market opportunity, or your drive to be CEO? I think it was the drive to actually do my own thing. And then I had like seven, maybe 7,200 bad ideas. Um, and <laughs> uh, and so, uh, so, but then I think the opportunity kind of popped up when I saw that there was this like really interesting convergence happening, I thought, with business services and uh, B2B, like particularly in business intelligence, um, where, you know, business services were becoming content developers. Like this is when McKinsey was just starting to do this. And so I thought, you know, and the other thing I also was realizing is that 
the media companies, uh, particularly the publishers, were kind of like hiding their their analysts in a sense. They like for me, it was all about the people, and 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 they were still f- kind of focused on content. Mm-hmm. So we so the idea that of Zatnito started out as marketplace of experts. Um, so there's like you know 300 million bloggers out there at the time, and people are going to all these like self professed experts and we wanted to create a marketplace of experts that were like curated and they were, it was kind of like, you know, LinkedIn meets Gersten Lehman group. I don't know if you know what Gersten Lehman group is, it's an expert network, but it's very offline. It's not like on demand. So we had like on demand access to experts and we launched uh, that as a beta. Um, And we were actually going to start raising a bunch of money in Silicon Valley. And I was talking to friends out there and, um, and this is like pre Facebook fake news. And, and then about, about like about 10 of these expert networks kind of popped up around the same time. Um, and, and then at the same time we were like, you know, we're basically, um, B2B guys enter- enterprise software guys. Um, so building a marketplace ourselves really challenging. And so we decided to pivot, if you will, to transition into taking our tech, and our approach around experts and content development and trust um, and create a white label version of that. So now we're just a SaaS provider in the back end um, that acts as a partner to our clients to build niche expert networks. Um, so that, so I guess in a sense to answer your question, it was, it was sort of like the drive to, to want to try this, like to give this a go. And then the, like the one good idea out of the 7,200, ideas that I had um, felt felt right. So then it was just sort of, it just sort of happened. Yeah. I'd love to, if we have time to go into some of the bad ideas. <laughs> I'm always really oh, curious. God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, definitely. What Maybe offline over a couple of beers. I, I have a few that come to mind. They're just, you know, so I have an idea every morning and that doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea. Yeah, no. Um, it, I have a bunch of questions now. Um, One of them being, you know, I think you and I actually talked about this over a lunch at one point, but there's a period of time where you have this idea and then there's the jump you need to eventually make to do it full time and then take it to the next level. I'm I'm curious, you know, a lot of people, you know, deal with that, that point. When, when do I make that leap? When do I make that jump? And I'm curious, you know, if you could walk us through the steps you took, whether it was, you know, late evening work to get this thing moving to what point did you feel like you were comfortable enough to, you know, I need to jump into this full time and and make this a a real thing. Yeah. I mean, I think I've been thinking about like, I don't know if it's an article or even a book about the cautionary tale of diving in too quickly. Right. It's like everybody talks about having a side hustle, um, which I think is a good thing. You know, like I think side hustles are good. It keeps you sharp. Um, but sometimes you just get possessed, you know? So like, and I think that's kind of what happened to me. I sort of just got possessed by this thing, you know, like this, this need to do it. But at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm an older founder. Um, it was like, maybe it was a midlife crisis. I don't know. But um, I also had the mortgage. I had the kid. I had the, you know, I had the responsibilities and I had a really good, good job. And, um, and actually the job itself was kind of a driver in that i didn't want to continue you know, climbing the corporate ladder. I wanted to do my own thing. So I was kind of possessed by it. Um, but also had to have enough income to, you know, pay the mortgage. I, I'm not, I didn't put the mortgage up, you know, I had some ca- capital that I put in. Um, so we did, I think what something was quite hard, which was um, to build a consulting kind of practice to basically fund our, 
our lives and then um, also funds that, you know, so we had developer, you know, we had developers working for us using our consulting money mm-hmm. uh, that we were putting into it. So we were kind of, that, that was kind of the blessing of, you know, having some capital and having, um, you know, that, that approach. But at the same time, that was like, you know, 15 hour days, sometimes 18 hour days, it, you know, it was br- brutal. So I think I wouldn't say that like, that was a good idea, <laughs> um, but it, it kind of worked. And then when we got to the point where actually um, the company could pay our, like, it's not the same salary as I was making, you know, when, but when it was able to kind of keep us afloat, um, that's when we decided to, to do it. And so we didn't, we didn't go the VC route. We raised some angel funds um, from some amazing angels but it, it, we really always wanted to be a business. So one of the things that I'll probably, I probably said to you at that lunch was like one of my, my, my the CEO of the startup I was at back in the late 90s, he, he said to me, Charles, um, you know, us old guys don't start startups, we build businesses. And so that really rung true for me. So that's always been our approach is like be self-funding, not chasing the burn, all that, all that stuff. Because I think it's such an interesting case in that, it, I call it a muse, how you, you, you built a company to fund the company. Was <laughs> that three things going yeah. on, I think of it? Yeah. You created yeah. that bridge for yourself. And so I think it's just an interesting case. And I'm always really curious in how folks do Yeah, that. I mean, if anybody's thinking about doing that, just make sure they call me first because, like, it sounds, it sounds good, but it's pretty, pretty hard to do. Coming in, you know, now you have Zapnito up and running in the early days. I'm curious, you're, you're doing this full time. Where did you feel like there was a tipping point for the company? Where did you feel like the company really had legs? It was taking off and you kind of had a moment of like, okay, like this is working. It's kind of a moving target, right? So, you know, the first enterprise deal you get, like, you're just like, oh, that's amazing. You know, you're jumping in the, in the air. And then, the, and then the, so that, so it's always a moving target like that. It, so you, it's working in that, you know, it's revenue generating where we have great renewals and we're growing and the team is amazing. Um, but I think for, it's just, it is, it is such a moving target because I think as a, unfortunately as like, at least from the CEO entrepreneurs that I know, you're just never happy. Right. So it's, 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 it's always a moving target. And, um, and so I think you need to celebrate the wins and stuff. And, but I don't think that's like, a mile, I don't think that's a milestone. Maybe it is when, you know, you get to, you know, you get to 15 million in revenue and like things are, I, I just don't even think that happens. Right. So um, I, I think when I really saw it like taking shape, it was when we we're getting amazing brands and, you know, and they were trusting us and we were like, you know, we're, um, we're definitely like in terms of our scale and the way we can deliver tech, um, we punch above our weight. So that's testament to my co-founder, John, who can build amazing architecture and build an amazing team around that stuff. Yeah. And with so that's back- a long answer. <laughs> it's, it's, I'll try to keep them simpler. No, but with going with your co-founder, John, um, really having the tech chops is I'm guessing with your background, you brought not just the product and project management skills to the table and the technical skills, but also the design skills as well. One thing I always notice when I come to your site is that it just, it looks beautiful. Um, okay. So yeah. Background in that. Yeah. So I, so I'm not going to take any credit for that either. Cause like I'm a failed designer, Ben. And so uh, <laughs> as a failed designer, 
Um, I just never had the brain, like design, design is as, you know, as intricate as tech, right. Or development. So I just, but I know when I see good design and I know when I see, um, good designers. And so, um, Matt, who's our first employee, like I, I believe in design. I believe in simplicity of design and, and doing less, um, and better as opposed to, you know, like a lot of our competitors, are all about feature bloat and it's such an easy place to be when you have a ton of capital like you can see these like these um these SaaS uh, players that just have so much capital they just start building way too much stuff right and so design for me has always been important so i i would say my background in design as a failed designer <laughs> has has helped me but you have the eye for it and understand it i think, I, so. I think yeah. what's important there is that you just what you said is you understand the value of it um, Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I didn't know how hard it is. So um, it's not something, it's not an easy thing. Is it challenging as well, given how Zapnita works in the sense that it's a white label product and it's, it has to have a design that's going to serve a number of different companies. You, you know, you're not just serving yourself. Um, is that an added element that creates complexity um, that you, and just one more reason why design yeah. is so important in this case. Yeah, it does create some complexity, but actually we try to keep it simple in that we have created templates that we believe are the, the right templates for the job that we do for our clients. So therefore by having templates, we can, re, you know, we can get to market with our clients a lot faster than like a CMS vendor we're not a CMS where, you know, it's all about like moving things around it. Like we have these templates and then, then we can um, have different levels of complexity around what we do with those templates with our clients. So like we work with a big um, uh, financial publisher here and, you know, they've kind of changed the, the templates quite dramatically and we can do that, but we, it just depends. Um, but we do prefer to, you know, use our UI design kind of, acumen and expertise um as an asset versus like you know um being totally custom yeah but yeah it does great complexity but keeping it simple on like this is we believe we put a lot of thought into this ux and this design we so we believe in it um but it doesn't always work some some clients just want their own we talked a little bit you know I think a lot of companies see the value of expert networks. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a trend that we see increasingly growing. We talked a little bit about, you know, GLG, for example. And I, I would like to just for a moment talk about the, how you see your competitive landscape. Um, obviously, yeah. GLG being one example, it's quite a bit different in the sense of how you're, you're creating the tools for a company to create an expert network versus how GLG is one. But so I'm just really curious how you see your world. Um, okay, sure. Landscape. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about um, like social media, um, you know, my view on social media is that it's being reverse disrupted. It's created a huge amount of noise. Right. So, but we, all, but there's a lot of amazing things in social media, you know, and, and I would say like social media allowed people to have a voice on the internet and that created a new problem, which is everybody has a voice on the internet. Um, and so um, we're not a social media platform. We're not our own expert network. Um, we live in, so there's a category which is called collaboration, right? So that's like a $50 billion category that Gartner kind of has put out there and you get things like, you know, like Slack, um, you know, that goes into that category, Microsoft Teams. Um, and then 
within that category or kind of outside maybe is, is a smaller category, which is the community category. And that's a $15 billion category. And that category is kind of, it's almost an older category in a sense, um, but it's now becoming, it's becoming really relevant, right? Because um, people want to bring back their communities um, and, and own those communities. Like we are not, the antithesis of social media because we still think social media has a, has a place. So we sit in the community category, but we never wanted to be in the community category, right? So we just found ourselves there. Gartner put us there. Um, so we talk about, we talk about expert networks because, but we're, we're a community platform that delivers expert networks, thought leadership content, um, and peer to peer conversations, right? So like some people have tried to put us in the ed tech space, but that's not where we are. So yeah, and then the competitive landscape is that you've got Lithium and Jive who rebranded to be, God, I cannot remember the name. It's like Cardos or Kudos or it's not Kudos. It's um, something really bad. Um, and then uh, then, <laughs> and then there's Higher Logic, which is like the membership society um, community platform. They've been around for a while. There's something called Small World Labs and there's a few other incumbents and they kind of haven't really they haven't really kept up with the times and then along comes like you know what's happening on twitter and facebook and you know we saw that trend happening so there's a there's like three kind of interesting players in the category we're like number we're number two or number one in the gartner kind of space in that in that in, in that category um by review we are we're kind of different in that we're more enterprise we're less about forums we're more about content thought leadership and networking and some, some of our other clients are more about like, you know, forums and that kind of stuff. So we're, we're slightly different. Um, and we do uh, focus on more of the enterprise type side of uh, the market. You being but, like, an, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, but it's, I think it's a really interesting market for, um, you know, the publishing world and the business intelligence world in that we believe that the network and the community and the experts are really the true asset. It's not about, it's not the content. Um, content's a commodity, right? The, the, the fact that publishers curate, edit, you know, create an editorial model around content is really powerful, but it's because they curate their experts and that's what we try to help them with. Sorry. No, no, it's, I'm glad you finished that, that thought and, and kind of relates a little bit to my next thought in that you, know, you sit right in the middle of, you know, what I'm calling community and developing these expert networks. And you see obviously the value in that and, and companies are seeing the value in it as well. And I'm, I'm curious how you see that changing or if it even will change in the next few years. Um, you, you've seen it change throughout the last few years, I'm sure. And I'm, I'm just curious how you see it changing and evolving and how people are going to drive value from it. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, yeah. I mean, it's just, we're just so heads down on, on the vision, right? So um, l again, like a lot of what we do is about like the network and, um, you know, things like on-demand access to experts. So, I mean, my hope on your question, which is like maybe just sort of totally um, subjective bias is that <laughs> the, the adoption is going to skyrocket because people are finally getting it. But at the same, I think that's, that's happening, which will make the space a little bit more competitive. Um, I like the fact that it's a little bit of a smaller category um, and that we're kind of, you know, we're the contenders in it. I love, I love that. Um, so I think, you know, the, the, the changes, um, you know, there might be some new entrants, right? Like that, that could be interesting, um, or threatening for us. Um, but 
I think that there will be a there will be a trend in the next you know three to five years to take this stuff on board, and we're seeing it. You know, we're seeing it more and more. This next question you can take two different ways. It, 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 I really want to understand what do you see as either the greatest challenge that Zapnito faces as a company, or the greatest challenge that you face. You know, driving and running Zapnito. <laughs> They're the same thing, no. Um, so, so um, I think the biggest challenge um, is that we are self-funded. So, like we we don't we don't we're not burning millions of dollars in in VC. So that kind of creates a bit of a constraint on us. I like that because it it also totally narrows your focus and what you can do. So then, if you're going to build something, you're going to do it really really well. Um, so I'd say that's the big the biggest biggest challenge probably um and the second one is is probably a, a lot a line aligned to that you know it's about you know kind of just managing the burnout um and building a great team um you know around around that um and then also making sure that there's you know it's not burnout on the team because we have a great you know awesome team but we also have to make sure that that doesn't happen within so i think it's managing the burnout um which is pretty common um so yeah how do you do that today manage the burnout well i can see it coming now you know like um so when i see it coming i know what it feels like i know i because i've i've had it i've hit the i've hit some walls you know so when when I feel the walls coming or I'm just like, you know, like when I'm leave, leaving, I, I'm at the ATM and I leave a hundred pounds just sitting there at the ATM um, and I walk away, you know, I know that my mind is kind of elsewhere. Right. And then I go back and like the hundred pounds is gone. That kind of, <laughs> so I just, I can see it coming. So then I'll just, I'll take a break and, um, and, and also like I need my own time and my own space. So I do quite a bit of uh, meditation you know, cycling and stuff like that. Um, I, w- I would like to do, you know, more and more holidays, like, um, and just switch off. Like last year I went, I did a bike tour, <clears throat> backcountry bike trip to, uh, Alaska and Denali rode up, rode up to oh, Denali. Cool. Um, and it was off the grid. So I think I had to force myself to get off the grid and that was awesome. Um, so that kind of stuff really helps. Yeah. And, and how long, I'm curious, because burnout comes up a lot. So I'm curious, when you went off the grid like that, how long was that for? So I was in Alaska for almost three weeks, but I was off the grid for five days on the on the bike trip, um, which was pretty brutal. It was like, you know, it doesn't sound like a long time, but it was pretty, you know, it was like grizzly bears and like, you know, it was crazy. Uh, <laughs> that was, yeah, it was five days. Um, that was That was enough to get off the grid. I don't think I could handle more than five days, <laughs> especially when you're not used to it. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. 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 But it was in August and like, cause we've been kind of UK centric. It's not as crazy, but now that we're getting more and more traction in the U S I think, you know, um, so there'll be more demand, but you know, I obviously want to kind of offset that as much as I can. Yeah. I really wanted to hit on the burnout thing when you brought it up just cause it, I hear so many founders and CEOs just deal with, with that and, and their tactics for managing it because it's, it's very real. Um, and it definitely is tasking and takes a toll on you if you don't manage it appropriately. Yeah. If you don't, I think appropriately is the right word. Cause you can do, you know, you can like, you, you, you can become pretty unhealthy just to deal with the stress, but like, that's just, 
sort of but sort of turns on you after a while so <laughs> it becomes a dark space yeah yeah so burnout, yeah, yeah burnout is a big deal i think also the the anxiety of it particularly when in the beginning um but once you like to your earlier questions like well how do you know it's working i think when you're let you know you're like not as anxious about it um but burnout can happen without that um, i have two back-to-back questions and i i ask any company that I interview these, these same back-to-back questions. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. um, where do you see Zapnito in one year? And then looking way out, where do you see Zapnito in five years? Well, which for a startup's an eternity. That's like 20 yeah, years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. For, for just, yeah. Um, so one year I, you know, it's kind of, I would say it's just doing more of the same, which is growing, uh, building, delivering. I, I do think that, um, in terms of our approach, like, we have been focusing so much on enterprise that um, we're going to start to come down a little bit and look at things like more self-service automation, trialing and stuff like that. So I think that will be an important focus um, to, to help, you know, the, the smaller SMEs a little bit more. So we've been kind of focusing on enter- enterprise, providing a lot of service around that, um, even though our subscription revenue is still it's at 90% um, subscriptions, but we do provide a lot of service. Um, and so that I think will be a big focus for us <clears throat> and really focusing on the vision as much as possible. And so occasionally, because we're in this, like this category, we're looking at parity um, and, and I, you know, I want to be uh, striking on the vision as much as we can five years from now. Um, I mean, putting aside like exit and, you know, all that stuff, um, which I think would be a goal for us um, is to exit into a bigger software company that we can grow it from within, you know, or, or maybe a consulting business. Um, so that would be definitely on the radar. Um, but I think I, I kind of want to think about, and you know, maybe another product as well. So right now we're, we have a big, you know, network pl- product, but I would like to think about new products as well as a, as part of that. Do you have any ideas now around what a new product might be in relation to Zapnito? Um, We've, I've got one, um, but it needs fleshing out a little bit. It might, it might be just like a very simple version of what we do, but focusing on one job, which is like find an expert and, um, and, and have a conversation with them on demand. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one idea. We've had that for a while. Um, we had an idea that we, we actually invested a lot of money into in 2017 and, and, and shut it down. Um, and so I know ideas are cheap and ex- execution is expensive. So, so you have to watch it too, right? Cause like you, just cause you have an idea, it needs to be fundable. So the other idea I have is, uh, more about the data end of the, um, experts in the network. So not just, not just in the, the lens of that need, but also looking at, um, the data solutions around what the experts are doing and the communities, um, beyond the, the platform. So those are kind of the different ideas we have, um, but definitely kind of focusing on that expert um, model. Yeah, you got to make sure it's not one of the seventy-two thousand bad ones, right? <laughs> oh, no, I said seventy-two hundred, Ben. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I ten xed it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. But that was a, a question I, I was curious about too. Was just the data exhaust that you might have from having an ex, these expert networks like this, and, and curious if there's something you can do with that. It kind of answered that that question um but i feel like there's some interesting insights that you might be able to garner um 
with. Yeah, well, I mean, we do that for our clients. So like we've done some really interesting data, data work um, with one of our big enterprise clients. Um, and actually, well, there's, it's in the case study. I think as you have multiple networks, you can start to do like some really powerful um, correlations about who your influences are, um, who your advocates are. I mean, one of the things that we haven't really talked about is like, you know, influencer marketing is such a big thing in B2C. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the B2B guys, they have their experts, they have their speakers, they have the authors, they have all these like, you know, people that are part of their trusted brand. And that is gold dust, right? So you've got, um, you know, you've got Coca-Cola paying millions of dollars for some sports per- celebrity to, you know, show their, show the, their drink on the, on the whatever on Instagram post, but like <clears throat> naturally with experts with, you know, that's creating a, mar- a market. Um, so anyway, that's just an aside, but, um, yeah, I just forgot your question. What was your last question? <laughs> no, was, well, I, we were, we were kind of talking about auxiliary products and ideas, but oh, okay, I, I was yeah. talking about the data exhaust and you, yeah. Were- so going back to the influencers thing, I totally got on a tangent, but going back to it's like, we can do, we can look at the data and see who the top influencers are who's, you know, all that stuff that, that you just can't really do on social media. And it's not really kind of in the core product uh, realm with the other traditional um, businesses as well. So like we can do that, which is pretty cool. It's interesting. Yeah. B2B companies, to your point, we don't really have that capability today. (laughs) There's nothing like that. Um, That would, no, I think there are tools out there that people are trying to use, but it's all in that social, um, that social context, not in the, in the context of um, like the, the, uh, the domain or the core, if that makes sense. So everybody's thinking about social, social is wrought with um, noise and problems and stuff like that. So that's, that's cool. So um, I'm, I always have to keep an eye on the clock because yeah. I'll, wow. especially if I have a glass of wine, I'll, I'll run us for a couple hours. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was, we had, they had happy hour downstairs in the, and so I almost grabbed the beer, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I'm having coffee right now. You're, you're having, <laughs> yeah, not yet. where can people find more about you, Charles, if they want to reach out and get in touch with you and where can people find more about Zapnito? I know obviously zapnito.com. S-A-P-Z-A-P-N-I-T-O.com. So we have a, like a very basic uh, uh, marketing set, but then our community is actually running on our platform. So join the community and you'll kind of see how it works. Um, and, you know, that's a good place to find out about us and me. And, I, you know, I write some content and then we have great thought leaders in the company and also externally. So we have an advisory group, which is our own little expert network as also. So check that out. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Outsell Podcast. For more information on Outsell, visit us at our website, outsellinc.com, or find us on social. You can find us on LinkedIn or Twitter. We love hearing from you. And so if you'd like to send us any notes, feel free to reach us out on any of those channels or even just drop by the office or send us a letter. Do it the old-fashioned way. We will have many more of these episodes coming out soon, so stay tuned. We're covering more companies, discussing new topics, discussing product, AI, machine learning, blockchain. It's going to keep coming down the pipe, so stay tuned. Also, if you have topics or companies or anything that you'd like us to cover on the show, please reach out. We love hearing from our listeners, so please just even come over and say hello on any of the social channels or at our website again at outsellinc.com. My name is Ben Sampson. This is the Outsell Podcast. Thanks for listening.